Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Amen. Let's take our Bible and go to the book of Acts chapter 18. Today I want to talk to you about remembering the big picture. Remembering the big picture. And uh, in, in Acts chapter 18, I want to give you a little backdrop coming into uh, this story. Well, first, should I give you some Chuck Norris jokes? Okay. I mean, really. While learning CPR, Chuck Norris actually brought the practice dummy to life. (laughs) Chuck Norris went skydiving and his parachute failed to open, so he took it back the next day for a refund. Chuck Norris has already been to Mars. That's why there are no signs of life there. (laughs) Chuck Norris and Superman once fought each other on a bet that the loser had to start wearing his underwear on the outside of his pants. (laughs) Some magicians can walk on water. Chuck Norris can swim through land. There, was, there used to be a street named after Chuck Norris, but it was changed because nobody crosses Chuck Norris and lives. <laughs> Fear of spiders is arachnophobia. Fear of tight spaces is claustrophobia. Fear of Chuck Norris is logic. When Chuck Norris finishes his workout, the gym takes a break. And lastly, Chuck Norris actually died 20 years ago, and death just hasn't built up the courage to tell him yet. <laughs> well, aren't you glad that you heard all that? Coming into Acts chapter 18, Paul has, um, this is his second missionary journey, and he, is, uh, on, he has gone through verse chapter 16, we see that he took Timothy, met Timothy, and had him circumcised, and then they went up toward Asia, thinking that he was going to stay in Asia again, because that's where his first missionary journey was. But every town that he came into in Asia, the Lord kept forbidding him to go there. And finally, uh, he had a dream. He had a vision in the night, the scripture says, when they were down in Troas, a place called Troas, and there was a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so that's when they made the course over to Macedonia and to the the inmost place place called Philippi. And while they were in Philippi, uh, an interesting thing happened. He met a lady named Lydia, and Lydia was a seller of purple, uh, and, and so she was one of those who financed his ministry. The Lord immediately uh, made that connection with them, and then he uh, came across this girl who needed to be delivered from the spirit of divination, as the scripture says. She was practicing witchcraft and soothsaying and things like that, and there were, there were these men, I call them psychic pimps, I guess, and, and they were... Um, they were profiting from her soothsaying, and so uh, when, when Paul cast the devil out of her, all their prophets were no longer, and so then they had them beat uh, Paul and Silas at this point. Timothy isn't with them here. Paul and Silas had them beat and then thrown into prison. You know the story as they're there at midnight that they're singing songs, songs and praising the Lord, and then an earthquake came and the, the jail doors were open and their shackles fell off of their wrists and, and ankles and they were set free. And even that jailer came in, possibly the very man that beat them, 
uh, took them to his own home. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and all your house will be saved. And so he took them to his own home and he bandaged their wounds and, and, and nurtured them and, and cared for them. And there that night, that evening, he and his family were all saved. It was a marvelous thing. And then, and then Paul came over into Athens, a place called Athens, because there was a threat for his, on his life. And he came into Athens, and as he's there, he's walking around, and he sees all of these idols and all of these inscriptions to these gods. And he sees this one particular inscription that gets his attention, and that inscription was, to the unknown God. And so Paul took that as an opportunity to evangelize to them and say, I'm here to tell you about the one you don't know about. And Paul always sought and found opportunities to preach the gospel. And so there he uh, began to talk to them about the unknown God because uh, amongst these philosophers and those others, they, they had a reputation that they always wanted to learn something new. They're all about gaining knowledge and knowledge. And so it was interesting for them to hear uh, who this unknown God was. And Paul said, he's not a God that's made with hands and he's not of silver and gold. Um, he is the Lord of all. He's the one who created all things, and in him we live and move and have our being. And, uh, and, and so finally his message culminated to the resurrection of Christ. And when he mentioned that Christ rose from the dead, that's when they all began to mock him and ridicule him and uh, called him all kinds of names, called him a babbler. And so now Paul has now made his way over to this uh, place called Corinth, which is the capital city there. And we're going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked uh, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So Paul, again, is finding another opportunity, another place to share the good news. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And when they had opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from now on. I will go to the Gentiles. Remember how Paul taught us the gospel is to be preached? And he set this by example. Whatever town he went to, whatever city he came into, he went to a synagogue first and ministered to his own people. In, Acts, I mean, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so he set this as a pattern. He would go preach to his own and then... <coughs> just about every time be rejected by them. Riots would break out. They'd always try to kill him. And then uh, finally he uh, decided he would go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered a house, verse 7, the house of a certain man named Justice. Some believe Justice to be Titus, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. So something marvelous is, is taking place now. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, say presence, and no one will attack you to hurt you, say protection. For I have many people in this city, possibility. His presence, his protection, and possibility. 
Verse 11, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. Father, thank you for this time together with your people, Lord. And we are humbled today and blessed and understand the privilege that we have of living in this great nation. Lord, we continue to pray and to thank you, God, for blessing these United States. Bless this time together, Lord, with all these that are here and all those that are listening by podcast. Lord, we thank you for your blessing upon them. And I pray that great grace and peace would be multiplied to them. I thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ to rest upon them now, Lord. We're here to encounter you, Lord. We want our lives bettered by this experience now, God. We want to increase in you. We want to know you more. So, Lord, reveal yourself to us. Illuminate our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for right now you are a very present help. So we look to you and we submit to you and we learn from you now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for a moment. I want you to see that Paul, the Lord says to Paul, do not be afraid. Why do you think God said that to him? Because he was afraid. It's not a trick question. There are times in your life when you need to, again, remember. Remember the big picture. When things in life begin to suffocate that vision, that dream in your heart, that, that promise that you know is true, that you've heard that God has said, things that he has spoken over your life, things that you've confessed, but things in this world have darkened and sullied that truth to you because of just what you're looking at in the natural. So Paul here has he's been through a lot already. He's, he's been beat. He's, he's been ridiculed. There, like I said, he's, there are riots that are breaking out. There's a lot of rejection uh, to his message, especially from his own brothers, his own Jewish brothers. And uh, can imagine what he must be feeling and sensing on a regular basis, but he's not persuaded by those things. So God comes to him and he visits him and he says, Paul, don't be afraid. Now look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. That's an interesting verse of scripture because when I think of the apostle Paul, I don't think of him in those terms at all. Weak, fearful, or trembling. But this is where he, this is where he was, especially in his own physical body. He'd come to them and he said, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and trembling. Um, but God said, I'm with you. What I need you to see right now, Paul, above everything else, is see the bigger picture. My presence is with you. And that's, that's all you need to know to walk through this. Look at, look at Hebrews chapter 13 for a moment. We're going to look at the Amplified Version in a couple of different places today because I love the way that it reads here, and it's so true to the, to the original Greek uh, in this particular passage. Uh, this is the Lord uh, speaking to us, making a promise, but Paul says, or whoever wrote Hebrews, let your character or moral disposition be free from love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have, for he, God, himself has said, I will not in any way fail you nor give you up nor leave you without support. I love this. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake nor let you down. Relax my hold on you. Assuredly, 
not. Isn't that a marvelous thought? Oh, verse 6. We got it. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? So what we understand about the presence of God and really the awareness that he's with, and we all know that it's, he's in us, right? Paul said this mystery that was hidden from the ages, nobody saw this coming. And this mystery has now been revealed to me to give to you. And that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Specifically, Christ in you Gentiles. It wasn't a big mystery that he would you know, abide with the Jews, but that he would come to us on the outside and God would bring us into this life. God would bring us into this covenant Hallelujah, that we are all children of Abraham. If we are all Christ, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So this, how is it that we are aware, though, of his presence? You don't always feel or sense. Now, there are times, you know, you sense or feel the presence of God. I like that, but that's not an everyday experience, is it? So there's, a, there's something greater that we're, that's attaching us to his presence and making us aware of it, and that obviously is faith. But it's faith in what? It's faith in his promise. See, God's promise is the continual awareness of his presence in our lives, his promise to us. Hallelujah. His presence is found in his promise. That's why you must see the word of God as more than just you know, an inspirational book or something that you're supposed to read as a Christian. That's, or, or maybe even something that's difficult to understand at, time, at times. But it's alive and it's teeming with the presence of the living God. Remember what John 1 said, in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When you look upon those scriptures, see it as, if you'll approach your Bible reading time as a face-to-face meeting with God, I believe that you'll get a lot more out of it. Because it is the expression of Him to us. Second Peter uh, chapter 1 says this, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? He's given us every, already, it's already done. It's already done. He's given us everything that pertains to life and God. Look at verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Oh, through these what? How are we going to be partakers of the divine nature? Through those promises, those exceeding great and precious promises. Do you see what I mean? The more that you activate yourself into declaring, to believing what God has said, believing his promise in your life, guess what? You start looking like him. You start taking on his nature. You experience his presence in you. You start seeing it in this outside, right here in the flesh. Hallelujah. Start acting like him. You start talking like him. You start thinking like him. You look like him through his promises. Because the, that thing that you hang out with, you eventually become like that. That's why the scripture says, watch the company you keep. You know, like husbands and wives, you see that over time, over years and years of marriage, something starts happening. They start looking like each other. I'm hoping that I look more like her in the end than she does like me. <laughs> Can I get an amen, gentlemen? Amen. You thank God you, you married up. But they start to, in, and even, you know, finish one another sentence. Maybe husbands and wives, you've experienced this. To, just yesterday, Heather and I were sitting in the living room and there was, we were watching something on TV and we at the same time said the same response. I was like, whoa, we've been together way too long. 
My grandparents, I used to love watching my, grand, my grandfather always would try to tell a story and my grandmother would butt in and finish it. She couldn't wait for him to get to the... She thought he was just taking way too long. She knew where he was going. They'd been together a long time. I used to love watching that. Uh, you know, it's funny and kind of frustrating for him, but, but it was comforting to me to see that happen, see how they have become so much alike and through those years of being together... The longer you believe and you confess the promises of God over your life, the more your life will be transformed into the image of that promise. Not only will it be in your mouth, but it will be in your way of living. Amen. And this is how you'll understand and be more aware of God being with you all the time. Amen. His word is near you, the scripture says, even in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith. Look at ver- back at verse 10. Of ver- or, uh, where are we? Acts 18. For I am with you, his presence. No one will attack you to hurt you. Everybody say protection. I'm grateful to God for his protection in my life. Grateful to God. I think that all of us could probably find common ground on this, that we would probably all be uh, either in a hospital or dead or something if we hadn't experienced God's protection in our life. Those moments where just near misses, maybe in a, in a car, where you knew that God was watching out for you. I can remember one time that I was, I was about 13 years old, and uh, my, one of my good friends, Dave, he, he got a 10-speed uh, bicycle for Christmas. So he just lived down the street from us. I've, I've told you a story about Dave and me and my brother being out here in Dad's Whistle. Well, this is, uh, this is that same Dave. And so he came over, and he was showing off his brand-new 10-speed. Well, me and my brother, we liked BMX bikes, and... And uh, so I'd never even been on a 10-speed before, and it was an intimidating bike. It was really tall, and my, 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 just my toes barely even touched the ground. So Dave was like, okay, you got to get on it, and you have to immediately start pedaling, all right, so that you can, you can get your wits about you. And, and, and the handlebars were weird because they went down kind of in this hook, you know, you know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and you had to shift gears, and, and the, the brakes were on the handlebars themselves. There was no, nothing on the pedal. The pedals just spun freely. And this is a whole different experience for me. But he says, you want to try it out? And, of course, I'm, I'm not going to wuss out in front of my friend. I'm like, heck, yeah, I want to try it. So I get on this thing, and I get riding down the road. I'm terrified. I'm like, oh, God, I don't like this at all because this thing goes fast a lot faster than my bike. But, you know, at the same time, it was pretty exhilarating. So as I'm trying to learn the bike, and I realize that as I'm just kind of looking at the gears and things like that, and I'm pedaling, that I'm going pretty fast at this point, and I'm going just down our residential uh, neighborhood street, and so I decided I need to turn and, and head back toward the house. And as, as I'm about to turn, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm aware of my surroundings, but it's a bit late. And uh, on, the, on the street there, a bunch of loose gravel was out, from the corner of the curb all the way out like this. And so I'm going too fast to hit that gravel because I know if I hit that, I'm, this thing's coming out from under me. So I made a wide turn. I'm looking at that gravel and making sure I'm going around it, not looking ahead of me at a car that's parked. The next thing I know, bam, I hit the back of that car and I flip over and, and land in these people's yard. And I'm laying there and I don't hurt at all. There's not one bit of pain and I'm this far, there's a sidewalk right here next to the back of my head. And I'm laying there, I'm thinking, I must be dead because I feel really good right now. There's no way that I should be pain-free. And I'm laying there thinking, okay, all right, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. So I start kind of moving around and think, I'm totally fine. 
And I just stood up and said, thank you, Lord, that was awesome. And that was just one of those moments that I realized, ooh, he's really watching out for me, because this could have gone along. The bicycle, not so fortunate. Put a big old dent in the, the, the rim of that, that front tire, and so as I'm riding it back, it's boom, 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 boom. And I'm thinking, my friend is going to kill me. Brand new, just got it for Christmas, and I've ruined his back. I'm not even sure if he's forgiven me, even to this day, all that. Through various dangerous circumstances that should have maybe even taken you out, let me remind you, God has been there for you. He's been that very present help for you. And, and your being here today is a testimony to God's continual, unfailing protection. And one thing that he brings as your overseer is protection. I want to take a moment to read a, um, a, a psalm to you today, Psalm chapter 91. Again, we're going to visit it from the Amplified Version of the scriptures, okay? I just want you to just listen to these words and just take them in at this moment because this is God's promise to you. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no foe can withstand. I will say of the Lord, it's important that we open our mouths and speak. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. Can you say that? He is my refuge. And my fortress. My God. On Him I lean and rely. And in Him I confidently trust. Amen. You don't have to repeat any more to that. For then He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. This is an interesting... I want to just read you the definition of pestilence here or as a, the, 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 the pastor who founded this church, Pastor Tom Ogden, years ago, used to say pestilence. <laughs> pestilence, it means <clears throat> a deadly or virulent epidemic disease. Something like the bubonic plague or what's now Zika, the thing that everybody's afraid of. Something that is considered harmful, destructive, or evil. This says he will deliver you from that. Glory to God. Verse 4. Then he will cover you with his pinions or his feathers, and under his wings shall you trust and find refuge. His truth and his faithfulness are a shield and a buckler. Verse 5, you shall not be afraid of the terror of the night, nor of the arrow, the evil plots and slanders of the wicked that flies by day. You remember what Ephesians chapter 6 says when it talks about the armor of God, and it says that you have this shield of faith. And what does this shield of faith do? It quenches all the fiery darts of the evil one. So now the devil's not throwing literal arrows at you. These fiery darts are his accusations, are his lies that are coming at you. But if you'll stay in faith, listen to me, none of those lies will affect you. None of those accusations will have any influence in your life. It will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Isn't that beautiful? nor of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor of the destruction and sudden death that surprise and lay waste at noonday. Look what, look what, look what you're protected from. Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. You'll still be standing. Verse 8, only a spectator shall you be yourself inaccessible in the secret place of the Most High as you witness the reward of the wicked. What's coming to the wicked is not coming to you. That's what it's saying. You're, it's inaccessible. You're inaccessible to their reward. Why? Because you're hidden. 
and the shadow of the Almighty. This is beautiful. Because you have made the Lord your refuge and the Most High your dwelling place. Verse 10. There shall no evil befall you. You've heard me quote some of these scriptures over you when I pray for you. There shall no evil befall you nor any plague or calamity come near your tent or your dwelling. For he will give his angels a special charge over you to accompany and defend and preserve you in all your ways of obedience and service. They shall bear you up on their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. God doesn't even want you to stub your toe. Isn't that beautiful? All right. Next, you shall tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the serpent shall you trample underfoot. In other words, you have authority over everything. Because he has set his love upon me. Now this is God speaking. All right. Because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows and understands my name. I like this. Has a personal knowledge of my mercy, love, and kindness. Now notice that. Because he set his love upon me, therefore, I would, God says I will deliver him. Not because he knows that I'm holy and that I can kill him if, if, I, if I want to. Not because he's afraid of me. Not because he knows I'm the ultimate judge. Not because he knows that some days there's a day of wrath coming. No, I'm going to deliver him. I'm going to be there for him because he understands what? My kindness, my mercy, my love. And trusts and relies on me knowing I will never forsake him. No, never. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Verse 16, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Can we just thank God? Why don't you just offer up praise to him and thank him for his protection in your life. Thank him that he's been there. Thank him that he's faithful to you. Even when you were faithless, even when you were stupid, even when you're a knucklehead, God has been faithful to you. God has been watching over you. He's been giving his angels charge over you. He's been delivering you from certain death. He's been delivering you from trouble. And even today, if he's done it before in my family, he has to do it again because he doesn't change. If that's his record, that will continue to be his record. You can trust in him and know that if he did it before, he absolutely has to and will do it again and again and again and again and again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Verse 10, for I am with you, his presence. No one will attack you to hurt you, his protection. And for I have many people in this city. Now he shows possibility. Possible. I have many people in this. And the scripture says that Paul stayed there a year and a half. Now watch this. I want to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for a moment. Because I'm wondering, okay, God, you said you have many people in this city. What was God looking at? What did God see that Paul needed to see? I have many people in this city. Now watch this. 1 Corinthians 6 verse uh, 9. Do you not know, and this is Paul speaking to this Corinthian church, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers. Now these revilers, let me just say something about the reviler, all right? The reviler is the one who points his finger at all these other people and calls them out. He's point, he points his finger at these other people in their sin He's in the same list as they are, the guy who's judging everybody else. He's in the same list, the guy that points out the certain sins here. Are you hearing me? He's in the same list. All right. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. 
And this is what Paul is saying. When I got here, that's all I saw. As such were some of you. So God says, I've got lots of people in this city, Paul. And Paul's going, look at all these sinners. This is what I have to work with? These are the people you're saying that you have in this city, God? Possibility. So then Paul took it upon himself, looking at this culture of corruption, pagan worship, people living life only for themselves and to please themselves. And when he heard God say, I have many people in this city, then Paul took it upon himself to say, okay, then I only know to do one thing, God. Teach him the word. So for the next year and a half, he stayed there and he taught these people. And all of a sudden, these people, their lives begin to change by hearing that glorious, glorious gospel. Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. Whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. It was that simple, beautiful gospel that these extortioners and idolaters and fornicators and thieves and revilers and homosexuals, they all heard it and guess what? Their lives began to change. They believed it and their lives began to transform. Before long, they had a church. And before long, Paul is calling them saints. possibility. Don't get caught up at the way things look now. Remember what God has said. Remember the bigger picture that he offers possibility. And so he doesn't need you to see things as they are. He needs you to see things as he sees them. And the way that you see how he sees them is by looking in his scripture, by reading his word and seeing what God is really seeing. Hallelujah. And saying what God is saying. Does this encourage you today? I have many people in this city. This is how the Lord is. Because he all, the bigger picture says there's no way that this can happen and there's no way that I can, I'll ever live that experience without God's help. And he says, thank you, that's all I need you to say. Because I'm in this thing with you. His presence is protection and possibility. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, God, for your word. Lord, thank you for your promises. Lord, as we declare your promises over our lives, as we speak your word, Lord, you are right there in it. You're there watching over your word to perform it. Thank you that we experience, Lord, the power and the beauty and the glory of your presence just by your word itself. Lord, thank you for your protection over us. Thank you, God, that you've always been there for us. Time and time again, God. Thank you that you watch over us and over our family, over our loved ones, God. Thank you for your protection, God. You're so faithful to us. And God, thank you for the possibility, Lord, that with you, you said all things are possible. Without you, we can do nothing. But with you, anything's possible. Lord, help us to remember that, to remember the bigger picture, to see God, our lives as you see our lives, to see the world, to see your plan at work in our lives, God. Lord, so that we don't get persuaded by what's around us, what we're seeing in the natural, God. But Lord, we'll always keep our eyes of faith fixed on you, fixed on that thing which is eternal, not that thing which is temporary. For you walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
Praise God. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.